As you're taking your seat, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Galatians chapter 5. And it's good to be back with you again. I was here just a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I'm excited to open up God's Word again for you today. And uh, I, I want to um, preach a message on a topic that I'm not sure I have ever heard preached on before. I want to preach to you on the topic of kindness. And I want you to think for a moment, when's the last time you heard a sermon on kindness? I don't mean just the, the idea of kindness referenced. I mean an entire message on kindness. I, I think in many ways, kindness is a virtue that is often overlooked in the Christian life. And in some sense, I think we confuse kindness and niceness when those are not the same things. The world is full of nice people. And if I can make a distinction between those things, here's what I would say. Niceness is the veneer of kindness without the heart disposition of kindness. It's the appearance of kindness without the true foundation of kindness. And what God wants to do is produce the fruit of kindness in his children. And again, I think this is not only often overlooked, I think this idea is often undervalued. I think we, we admire certain virtues in the Christian life. We admire things like courage and conviction, and we, we think that those are admirable, but very often we kind of devalue or underestimate kindness. And yet, what we see in the Word of God is that the presence of kindness in your life is a preeminent evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. And kindness is supposed to, I want you just to hear this, it is supposed to, as a fruit of the Spirit, be something that overflows in your life. Your life is supposed to be a, a cornucopia of kindness, overflowing in other words, it's not supposed to be like a, a little bit of salt that's sprinkled on some, you know, flavorless food. Instead, it ought to saturate every part of the believer's life, flavoring all that we do. Salt is, or excuse me, kindness is to the Christian what salt is supposed to be to the ocean. It's supposed to be everywhere in the Christian life. In fact, that's true of all the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Look at what he says, beginning in verse 22. Familiar verse to so many of us. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of, of the Spirit's work and power in your life and kindness is one of those nine aspects of the fruit that is listed. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is a very important list. Every part of the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the power of God within you, and at the same time, in other places in Scripture, every part of the fruit of the Spirit is commanded to be present in your life. So what exactly is kindness then? It's hard to define, but I think we know it when we see it. It's, it's been said that kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. 
I think if I was to give you maybe a, a more scriptural definition, it would be, you know, out of Philippians 2 verse 4, where we are commanded to not only look out for our own interests, but to look out for the interests of others. You see, it's a disposition of the heart that seeks the welfare of others. It looks out for their interest. Listen, without looking for payback or without looking for a pat on the back. And it is offered regardless of whether the individual deserves it or not. You see, to be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or to comfort them, to do something that serves them or benefits them in some way. And it's interesting that the call for kindness in the Bible, it often comes in the most difficult and least natural moments to do so. I don't know if you caught that. It's fascinating to me that in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, that kindness comes right after, did you notice what comes right before? Look at it. Say it with me. Patience. And by the way, this is, the, this, is, this is no mistake because patience is required in the Christian life. And if we're to be kind to people who don't deserve it, guess what? We need a whole lot of patience, which is why Paul the Apostle in the famous wedding verse in 1 Corinthians 13, that is actually a church verse. If you used it at your wedding, that's fine. That's a fine application. But listen, it's for the church, the people of God. Remember what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He says, love is patient and kind. They, they follow one another in this sequence in Scripture. It tells us something. You see, being kind to others is one of the most notable characteristics of a genuinely loving, spirit-filled follower of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is what God is producing in us as believers, but these are virtues that are not produced passively. They must be actively and intentionally cultivated by us. All of them, like I said, are commanded of believers elsewhere in Scripture. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to look at three ways we can cultivate kindness in our lives. First, in order to cultivate kindness, I must recognize God's kindness. And this should be, in some sense, almost self-evident that everything the Spirit of God is producing in us is really a re reflection of God himself. Since it is a fruit of the Spirit, it shouldn't surprise you that kindness is actually an attribute or characteristic of God. In fact, one of the most common ways to describe the heart of God's character in the Old Testament is to use this word kindness. It is to say that God is kind. Now, I want to kind of contrast this idea with the way that many people think of the God of the Bible, particularly the God of the Old Testament. I know that, that if you're a Christian, you've heard this before from maybe some of your unbelieving friends. The God of the Old Testament is this angry, vengeful, wrathful God in contrast to the God of the New Testament who's tolerant and filled with grace and love, right? You've, you've heard that dichotomy presented before, right? Am I, am I alone here? Right, but here's the, here's the irony in that. Do you realize that, there, that there's more wrath poured out in the New Testament than there is in the Old? First in the cross and second at the return of Jesus when he comes to judge the wicked. 
Now make no mistake about it, as you read to the Old Testament, there are moments of God's wrath and judgment that are clearly on full display. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from the flood. You can't get away from Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't get away from, the way, from, from how God judges even his own children and sends them off into exile when they're rebellious and idolatrous. But what we see in the Old Testament is not predominantly a God of judgment and wrath, but predominantly a God of grace and kindness. The moments of God's wrath and judgment are actually few and far between. And in those longer spaces, what we see is the patience and kindness of God towards a sinful, rebellious people who are actually deserving of his wrath and judgment. And so we see this beautiful picture of God's kindness. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there's a word that's used to describe the kindness of God. It's one of the most potent, uh, rich, I think profound words that we have in the Hebrew language. In Hebrew, it's the word chesed. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a term that describes the covenantal faithfulness of God. And it's often, it's so rich and nuanced that it's often actually defined or translated in a number of different ways throughout the Bible and, and in, in different translations. You may read this word as faithfulness. Uh, you may read it um, as, as kindness. My favorite is the, the King James Version. You'll often hear it like this, God's steadfast Loving kindness. That's that word chesed. It is the loving kindness of God. And we see it all over the place in the Old Testament. I want to just give you a sampling of this. You, you could turn, if you want, to the book of Psalms, or I'm going to put all these on the screen. We're moving through a lot of scripture here this morning, so if you want to jot stuff down, that's fine. If you want to turn to them, that's fine. If you just want to look at the screen, but I just want you to see this comes right out of God's word. Psalm 36 Verse seven, for example, says this, how precious is your steadfast love, or just think your loving kindness, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You see in this the provision of God, the care of God. God is kind to care for and protect and provide for his people. Look at Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love, your, your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, the people of God. They, they see and they experience, they know the loving kindness of God. And what happens in the heart of a person who's experienced that? that they cannot help but praise God. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and he is kind, chesed, steadfast in loving kindness in all his works. This is the God of the Bible. Let me give you a couple more for free that aren't on the screen. Isaiah 63, verse seven says, I will recount the steadfast love, the loving kindness of the Lord, the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am, how does God define himself? When he says, you know me, what do you know about him? Listen to this, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast loving kindness, justice, 
and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Can you see the heart of God across the pages of Scripture? How awesome is our God, amen? He is kind. You cannot know who God is apart from knowing that he is kind. So if you have this version of God in your mind that he is just always angry and filled with wrath and judgment, you do not understand the God of the Bible. He is more drawn to kindness than he is to wrath and judgment. He is more willing, listen, this is awesome, he is more willing to extend kindness than he is to execute judgment. He is concerned with your welfare. He is concerned with your life. He desires to see people flourish and thrive. He is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is the kindness of the Lord. He is kind. He is kindness. And the road to being kind is recognizing that God himself is kind. But you see, it's not enough to simply recognize God's kindness. In order to cultivate kindness, I must secondly receive God's kindness. I mentioned that kindness in the Bible, it often comes when it's most difficult or unnatural to extend it. That's true for us because we are sinners, And we we live in a fallen world. We're broken by sin. Our desires are distorted by sin. But while it's true for us, it's actually not true for God. His kindness towards us actually shines forth on the backdrop of our rebellion against him. You could say it like this, that it is the most natural thing for God to move towards sinners, not away from sinners. Interestingly, it is the most natural thing for sinners to move away from God instead of toward God. But God, he sees us in our sin and he draws near to us. We find that it's it's easy for us, isn't it, to be kind when people are kind of easy. And so we are kind predominantly when when it's easy, when people are kind to us, when we feel respected by people, loved by people honored by people, but, but, but I would just say that in one sense, that's actually very unlike God. So where we are inclined to show kindness when people are kind to us, God is inclined to show kindness to us when we are not kind to him. And he's teaching us something about how we are supposed to be, but he's also showing us what we need to receive. Since the fall, humanity has not naturally lived in loving, in a loving, honoring, a worshiping relationship with God. That's what we were designed to do. Instead, we live in a relationship with God. Everybody's got a personal relationship with God. Okay, you often hear, do you have a personal relationship with God? Everybody has a personal relationship with God. The question is, what kind of personal relationship do you have with God? It is one of submission and surrender, or is it one of rejection and rebellion? In the book of Romans, Paul lays out a a case for humanity's sin and guilt. 
And he, and he focuses on all of humanity. He, he goes after the Gentiles, that's anybody who's not a Jew. And then he goes after those who are Jewish, thinking, you know, maybe they're inclined to think that we're righteous, ethnically we're important to God, therefore God is, is going to uh, show special care for us. But he, he levels the playing field and he says, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, that's everybody. You are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, he says, quoting from the Old Testament. No, not one. Your sin has separated you from God. You've, you've probably heard this, this phrase, um, the best of men are men at best. Have you heard that? Well, according to the Bible, uh, the best of men are wicked, depraved, ungodly sinners, deserving of God's just judgment and divine wrath for all eternity. That's just not as quotable. It doesn't fit as nicely on a bumper sticker. But you know what's amazing is that God sees the mess and trouble of humanity and his heart instinct isn't to rain down judgment. It is to come down and rescue. In fact, I want you to see this verse. It's such a powerful verse. Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. It should be on the screen here as well. It says this, but when the goodness, and look at this word, and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus is kindness incarnate. It's interesting, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul says the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. We need to just pause and, and ponder this for a moment. You see, when speaking of the most incredible moment, I want you to think about this, the most incredible moment in all of human history, the most incredible moment in creation history, in all the universe, when heaven comes down to earth, when God steps into his creation and becomes a man, when the plan of redemption is at its most pivotal phase, Paul can simply say this, Kindness appeared. I think it's fair to say that kindness then is not trivial or inconsequential in the Christian life. And if we take our cue from God, what we understand that kindness actually has eternal significance. When the kindness, the loving kindness of God appeared, notice this, he saved us. Jesus, kindness incarnate. I mean, throughout his life and his ministry, he actually modeled tangible acts of kindness. He, he wasn't just kindness, he displayed kindness kindness in a perfect way, and, and he was always seeking the welfare of others. His whole life and ministry was devoted to caring for others, providing for others, meeting their needs. Let me just kind of frame this in three ways. As you think about the ministry of Jesus, let's just consider how kindness was expressed. Let me give you one way. Um, Jesus kindly feeds people in his ministry, doesn't he? If you've read through the Gospels, you've certainly come across the, the accounts where Jesus feeds either the 4,000 or the 5,000. He, he just seems to love to feed people. 
What's fascinating is that Jesus loved to teach people and people loved to follow Jesus. And he follows them, the people follow Jesus out wherever he goes. And there are moments in the scriptures where they're, they're just sitting and they're eating up every word that Jesus delivers to them. But they're there for days on end sometimes, so much so that they're beginning to, to physically get hungry and they run out of food. And Jesus' disciples, they, they recognize this. And so when they come to Jesus with this truth, uh, they think that they need to disperse everybody to, to leave so that they can go and find food. And Jesus' answer is this, why don't you give them food? You see, Jesus looks at people in need, in their physical need, and he has compassion on them, the word of God says. And what he does is, he, is through a miraculous means, he provides food for his people, so much so that everyone, the text tells us, ate and was satisfied, and there was even some left over. And here's maybe a principle you can draw out of this for your own life. Internal compassion leads to external acts of kindness. When you have the heart of Jesus, when you have compassion for people, your desire then, your disposition leads you to move. You see, uh, kindness has both a heart and it has hands and feet. I love that you guys are sending out a team as we prayed for earlier today as a display of this. Sending out people into the the inner city to do work with people in need, to to demonstrate kindness to those in need in the name of Jesus Christ. Internal compassion leads to external acts of kindness. We also see in the life of Jesus, not only that he kindly feeds, but he kindly heals. In the ministry of Jesus, he heals all kinds of people. People who are born lame and blind, people who are demon-possessed. He even raises people from the dead. But one of the most I think important miracles, they're, they're all important. It's really hard to say that, so forgive me. But, but I think one of the most significant miracles Jesus does is he heals lepers. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, what you know is this, that lepers, uh, they are deemed unclean in the Old Testament. They're, they're untouchables. They're sick, they have a skin disease that that infects people rapidly, it spreads rapidly, and the lepers were ostracized in a variety of ways. Really, to be a leper was a death sentence in a multitude of ways. Before you even died, you in effect died in the community. You had no access into the worship system, which was at the very heart of the nation of Israel. You were excluded. You were ostracized from your community, from your family, from your job. When people got near to you, you have to declare unclean, unclean, unclean for the protection of other people. You were seen as a stigma and stain upon the community, and you had to live on the outskirts of the community. It was a devastating reality in the ancient world. And there's these accounts in scripture of these unclean individuals who, who are, listen, you just have to think, it's not just the physical malady, it's the emotional and the psychological and the spiritual toll this is taking on their lives. They've lost everything and they feel so unworthy and undeserving and they recognize who they are in such an unusual way. And what they do is they come to Jesus in, in, in his ministry through the gospels and, and, and one of them in Matthew chapter eight, verses one and two, a leper comes to Jesus is Jesus, if you will, can you heal me? Can you make me clean? And in this untouchable man pleading with Jesus, knowing that he he doesn't deserve it, Jesus declares, if I will, declaring that he can and he will. And you know what he does in this powerful moment? He doesn't just speak the word. He could have spoken the word and healed this man. You know what he does? He reaches out and touches the untouchable. And he heals him instantly. 
He, in effect, takes on the man's uncleanness in order to make him clean. Can you see where this is leading? He kindly heals. And can I just say, as a principle, listen, drawn out of this, listen, kindness always turns towards those in need, never away from them. This is so hard because we see people who maybe we internally deem unworthy or unclean, less valuable, less significant, and we're inclined in our flesh, aren't we, to push them to the side, to push them to the margins, to think that they're not worthy of our time and our respect and our love and our care and our affection and our provision. And yet what God says is you need to be the exact opposite if you want to be like me. And I just, maybe some of you are here today. I know in a room this size, some of you in here today, you feel like you're the unclean one. And maybe nobody around you knows your, your life of sin. They don't know your past baggage. For sure, for sure, I can say this about every person in this room because I can say it about myself. Nobody knows the depths of your sin like you do. And some of you, maybe you felt so unworthy. Maybe you've been told by people who are supposed to love you and care for you and help you and support you and strength. Maybe you've been told you're unworthy, you're worthless, you're garbage. Maybe you felt like that because you haven't, you haven't achieved what you thought you would achieve or what people expected you to achieve. You haven't become what you wanted to become in this life and so you just feel so unworthy. Maybe you, you just have this, this train wreck of a life of sin and you feel like it's gonna, it's gonna follow you until the day you die. You're always gonna be plagued with such guilt and torment of your soul because you know the depth of your sin and you feel so unclean and unworthy to God and so you constantly live in guilt and shame and Jesus is saying to you today, you are not too unclean for me. I can reach out and touch you and heal your uncleanness. You can be clean in my sight because I can make you clean. And you need to see that your worth and your value is not determined by anything that you've done, but by all that Jesus has done for you. He took your uncleanness at the cross. He gave you his perfect, clean, pure righteousness. You are not untouchable to God, which is why, listen, we see in the ministry of Jesus, not only does he kindly feed and kindly heal, he kindly forgives. And this is, I think, for sure, the most important ministry of Jesus. In fact, all of the miracles of Jesus, all of the physical miracles of Jesus, whether it's feeding people um, physically, whether it's healing them physically, uh, casting out demons, I mean, you name it, all of the physical miracles of Jesus are pointing towards a greater spiritual need that all humanity has and a greater spiritual provision that only God himself provides. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus actually pairs these two things together. The story is uh, a true story. Uh, the crowds flocking to Jesus as he heals so many. And Jesus was so busy and, and, and the place was so packed. There was this paralytic, this man who had no use of his limbs and his friends wanted to get him near to Jesus. So they, they brought him up to the roof and they carved out the roof, this kind of thatched mud roof. And they dug a hole, so to speak, in it. And they lowered the man down. And, and, and this is fascinating. Jesus, he looks at this paralytic and you know what he says to this man? Son, your sins are forgiven. 
He looks at this man who, 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 who thinks he needs physical healing, but Jesus goes straight to the heart. And then all of a sudden, the text tells us that the Pharisees, uh, the, the, the religious elite, the Jews there that were, that were supremely religious and self-righteous, they look, they listen to what Jesus says. And you know what's going on? They start thinking in their hearts, who does this guy think he is? Who, who, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And the word of God tells us that Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking because he's God. And this is what he does. He says to these men, he says, which is easier? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? What's easier? In other words, is it easier to forgive a man's sins or is it easier to heal him? And you know what the answer is? The answer in, in a spiritual world, and, and especially the Jewish worldview, it's this, forgive sins. Forgiving sins is something only God can do. Therefore, I mean, it's way easier to physically heal somebody than it is to do something that's well, well outside the, your bounds of authority. And then here's what he says. He says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise Pick up your bed and go home. In other words, get up. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do this easy thing, and I want you to see, listen, that I can do the hardest thing of all. And for all time he called attention to the fact that the greater miracle, and by far his most important ministry, and the greatest act of kindness is the forgiveness of sins. And in light of all our guilt, our sin, and our shame. Paul states this in Romans chapter two. Remember, he lays out this case for the sin of all humanity. Listen to what he says in Romans two, verse four. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, he says, don't miss the opportunity. See all of your sin. See that you are unclean. You are in a sense undeserving, but God is kind to you and he calls you to come so that he might forgive your sins. You see, God is kind and he extends that kindness to you. He's willing to save you. And, And the greatest kindness of all is that he actually takes upon himself that uncleanness for your sins. See, on the cross, the word of God tells us that he made him who knew no sin so that he might become sin for you. That in him, you might become the righteousness of God. So here we have this picture of Jesus hanging on the cross and the picture is this. Here's, I want you to see kindness incarnate doing the kindest thing he could ever do for sinful human beings. He says, I will take all of your sin. I will pay the penalty for your sin. I will deal with the power of sin. And one day I will eradicate from the entire cosmos the presence of sin. I promise you there's nothing kinder that God can do All you have to do to see the true kindness of God is look to the cross today. And and I want to ask you today, have you received that kindness? Have have you truly repented? Have you turned from your sin? Have you recognized, yes, that you're a sinner, but have you received by repenting and believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed him as Savior and Lord? If not, listen, don't presume upon his kindness. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what? Uh, Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Listen, you're not guaranteed another breath right now. Think about this. And right now, the God of the universe in kindness is calling out to you. He's calling you to come and receive his kindness. Don't hesitate. Come enjoy his kindness now, but but it gets better. 
You see, God's not just giving you kindness at the cross. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 7. So that, this is why he saved us, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, so here's the deal. You come to Jesus, the kindness of God, you received kindness in his forgiveness and grace, and then he just overflows toward you with an abundance of kindness for the rest of your life. Because for the rest of your life, listen, you live and stand in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in him. Receive God's kindness today. Live in the immeasurable riches of God's grace forever. Kindness comes to save you and dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why? Let's ask this question and let's close out with this final point. Here it is, because we're not just called to receive it. In order to cultivate it, we must reflect God's kindness. So we recognize God's kindness. We receive God's kindness. But now we must reflect God's kindness. As I said before, kindness has, has feet and hands. And I think that one of the reasons why kindness is so hard is because uh, we do the opposite of what Philippians 2, 4 says. We're not, we're not content, or excuse me, we're not interested in looking out for the interest of others. We only look out for our own interests. We're too busy. We don't want to be interrupted or inconvenienced. We have things to do and, and people to see. And there's work to get done, and so we're often self-centered instead of God-centered, and therefore, we're not others-focused. But kindness is the presence of God within you. If you're a believer here today, you need to hear this. Kindness is the presence of God within you, reflecting the compassion and generosity of God through you. So what should Christ-like kindness look like in our lives? Well, in a sense, it should simply look like God's kindness towards us. Let me give you three ways to cultivate this kindness. Okay, first, listen, kindness provides. We've seen this in God himself, and we've seen this in Jesus. But let me, let me make this a little more personal. Galatians 6.10 says that we, are, we must do good to all, but especially those in the household of God. In other words, our kindness is to be manifested towards every person we come in contact with. Everybody is deserving of our kindness. But there is a special kindness that God calls us to extend to the family of God. In other words, your church family, you here at Hope Markham, you are to look at one another and to actually engage in acts of kindness in a unique way. It's your priority in this church family. And here's what Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. In other words, the kind of kindness you show to one another in here is really a manifestation of the love that's present in this place and it will become a witness and a testimony to the world out there. There's something unique that's happening in here. These people are different. Look at the way they care for one another. I mean, love is patient and love is kind. I'll never forget, uh, years ago, I went to, to seminary. Um, a lot of years ago now. I know I don't look at it. I look real young, right? Yeah, right. Get close enough. And every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, what, Lord, really? What's happening? Wrinkles, gray hair. I have two teenage kids. That's scary. 
And, and they remind me all the time. My, my youngest son looked at me, he saw my gray hairs the other day, and he says, Dad, I don't want you to die. I was like, <laughs> I was like son, I, I think that's a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> but I, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll never forget my experience as a as, Young uh, married man, I went off to seminary at the age of 23, and I, uh, my wife and I we moved to California. and And when we moved there, we had nothing. We we had a, 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 a that's not true. We had a loan from the bank for a lot of money that we had to pay back. Other than that, we had literally nothing. Uh, we went there with a couple suitcases, uh, some of our clothes. That's pretty much all we had. And I'll never forget my first experience at the church we went to. Um, we, were, we were brought into this kind of Bible study fellowship. We were a large group of about you know, 250 people. And uh, the pastor stood up and said, is there anybody new here today? Uh, we don't do this here. Maybe we start doing this. And so if you're new, we'd like you to stand up. <laughs> uh, so, so, we stand, so, so my wife and I, we stand up and everybody is like, oh, welcome. We're glad you're here. And then the person that was sitting beside us, who we had gotten to know a little bit, said, they came with nothing. It's just what you want everybody to know. It's exactly what you want everybody to know. Yes, we're poor, we're broke, we're needy. But I'll tell you, here's the awesome thing that happened. This, this, this has etched, etched into my heart and mind the kindness of God and what the family of God ought to be. It, it, the pastor stood up right after that. He stood up and said, did you guys hear that? They came with nothing. And then he said, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to hit a pause on our programming for the morning. We're going to take a break. I need somebody right now to volunteer. Can we get a list going for these people? And somebody put their hand up and jumped up. They got a piece of paper out and a notepad. He said, I want you over the next 15 minutes, start a line right here. I want you to come up here and I want you to offer them things that they don't have. I want you to provide for them. Give them everything they need. And he said this, and don't give them your junk. <laughs> it's the kindest thing he said. <laughs> and in 15 minutes... We had a page full of stuff, and the next week, we had everything. We had this empty little apartment. It was fully furnished. I mean, dishes, food in our fridge, a bed. Somebody gave us a car. And you know, my wife and I, like in tears, we, we saw a visible display of the kindness of God through the people of God. And, and all, all I want to say to you is, I know you are a kind church. I, I know, I know who you are. I, I, I know who you are, and I'm so thankful that you're kind. But can I just encourage you, excel still more in your kindness to one another because it is a powerful display of the kindness of God that you have received. You never know what kind of an impact you're making on somebody's life. That changed my life. It changed my understanding of the church. I'd never experienced anything like that. And my wife and I, when we came back and planted a church in the Durham region 13 years ago, we said, this is what we want our church to look like. This is who we want to be. By the grace of God, he's, he's growing us in this and he's helping us to become this. But let me encourage you, don't lose sight of this. I'll just say this. You need to be kind to those in the family of God. Look for ways you can bless and serve and meet emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. Deliver meals, give money, mow somebody's lawn, pick them up from the airport at three in the morning. That's the kindest thing you can do. Bring people to church. Give them a car. Sit down for coffee. Invite them over for a meal. Do it. Don't wait. Don't, don't just be reactive. Be proactive in showing the kindness of God. And I would just say to you this, do it to your enemies as well. In fact, Jesus says this, 
in Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Secondly, kindness proclaims. I'll just, I'll say this quickly. You can meet every physical need a person has, but if you're unwilling to help them, help meet their spiritual need, you are missing the true heart of kindness. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, I think this is the theme verse of his life and ministry, and I would encourage you to make it yours. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen, if you are truly kind, you will challenge others with the truth of the gospel. There is nothing kinder you can do for someone than, pro- than proclaiming the provision for their greatest need, the salvation of their soul. Let me give you one more. Kindness pardons. Listen, I, I mentioned the forgiveness of Jesus, but, but I want you to hear this. We are forgiven so that we can be forgivers. And nothing displays the heart of God's kindness towards us more than forgiving those who have hurt us and wronged us. This is what the scripture says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. 32 will be up on the screen. It says this, let all bitterness, some of us need to hear this today, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Listen to this. Be kind to one another. How, Paul? Tell us how to be kind. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive because we are forgiven. And I don't think anything reveals the Spirit's work within us more than having this kind of willingness to forgive others. And, and as we're now closing our time together, listen, we're, we're moving into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And this is a time, I want you to hear this, where we actually remember and celebrate that God in Christ has forgiven us, amen? And so this is a really important time for maybe some of you here today. Maybe there's bitterness and resentment in your heart towards somebody. Maybe there's someone even in this, this church, in this room, Maybe somebody in your family, and it is just, it, it's, you know, it, it's killing you from the inside. You know, it's often been said that, that, that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. And, and there is freedom and there is power, not only in the forgiveness you receive from Christ, but in extending forgiveness to those who've hurt you. And I want to encourage you today, maybe as we go before the Lord in just a moment, Matt's going to lead us in just a moment, I want to encourage you to think, is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? And you can do that vertically before the Lord. You can release the offense to God. But then I would say this. Some of you need to go horizontally to the individuals who have hurt you. And you need to seek them out. And you need to let them know the offense. And you need to be so willing to extend forgiveness the moment they, I I trust, Lord willing, own it and repent of it. Some of you need to extend forgiveness. Some of you need to receive forgiveness. All of us, listen, need to rejoice in God's forgiveness and then reflect his forgiveness. Phil Riken says that knowing the kindness of God enables us to start showing the kindness of God. 
The kindness we show will never come from within. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a kind of gift from God himself, and it might be the most overlooked part of the fruit of the Spirit, but it shouldn't be. I hope you see today that it is at the very heart of the gospel itself.